Father, we pray that your spirit would be among us this morning, showing us Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We love having the ability to make choices, do we not? We love to have options. And if for some reason any of the options that are on the market don't completely suit us, well, we love to keep our options open, right? You see, in a sense, there's a freedom that we feel we have in making our own choices. And a lot of times, not being able to choose something, well, it feels restricting, right? It's almost like we're being forced into something, even if it is something rather insignificant. I mean, think about it. Really, in all things, whether it's the car you're driving, what food you're going to eat tonight, um, what music you're going to listen to, what political party you're going to support, who you're going to marry, what house to buy, and of course, most importantly, who you're going to support in the Super Bowl tonight. Am I, am I right? Okay, I, I digress. <laughs> but really, but the point is, is that whether it's an insignificant decision or it's a significant decision, we feel that the higher value is that we get to choose for ourselves. Now, don't get me wrong, having options is a good thing. There's a lot of good in having, having options and being able to choose. The downside is that being able to choose tends to create in us a very consumeristic mindset, and that seeps out into really all areas of our life. It also carries over into how we approach faith and how we approach Jesus. See, whether we realize it or not, we really do like to pick and choose which Jesus we're going to believe in, right? Too often we, we pick and choose those things about Jesus that we like and all of those things about Jesus that we don't really like, well, we just kind of ignore them and just kind of set them off to the side and act like it's not there, right? We, we love the Jesus who welcomes children. We love the, the Jesus who performs miracles, right? We, we love the dramatic Jesus, the one that goes into the temple and cleanses it in holy and righteous anger. But... What about the Jesus who tells us to forgive those who have hurt us? What about the Jesus who tells us to turn the other cheek or to love our enemy? You see, there's way too often we really do think that we get to choose which Jesus we're going to believe in. Now, friends, that's, that's easy, right? It, I do it. I'll admit, I do it. But you see, the thing about Jesus is that it really is this it really is all or nothing with Jesus, right? It's all or nothing with Jesus. He doesn't give us options to pick and choose from. Jesus definitely does not stay conformed to our own personal categories. In fact, he has a tendency to completely obliterate our categories or completely destroy whatever box that we want to put him in. And then he goes even further, and he calls us to conform our life to the truth of who he reveals himself to be. See, that's the thing about Jesus is, Jesus doesn't give us much of a choice. He just kind of shows up, reveals himself, and then calls us to follow him if we want to find abundant life. A Jesus of our own choosing is no Jesus at all. A Jesus of our own choosing is no Jesus at all. And honestly, thanks be to God for that. Thanks be to God for that because I believe that in our own sin, I don't think we would ever really choose a Jesus who could truly and fully save us. So friends, this morning, we're going to look at an episode in Jesus' life when Jesus refused to be conformed to the image that certain people wanted to place on him. 
See, last week, Fred preached on a part in uh, Luke chapter 4 where Jesus goes into the synagogue of his hometown of Nazareth. And this morning, we're going to look at the second part of that event. The second part of that event is when the crowd realizes that this Jesus, whom they thought they knew, doesn't turn out to be the Jesus that they wanted him to be. So before we dive into that text in Luke chapter 4, if you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, let me give uh, just a quick recap if I can. In Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 18, Jesus goes into the synagogue. He reads a passage from Isaiah 61, and he says this. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolls up the scroll, he sits down, and he teaches, and he says, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, which basically means that all of this is coming true in Jesus now. The reality that that all of scripture has been pointing to is now becoming a reality. So that's what Fred took us through last week. This morning, we're going to pick up in verse 21. So verse 21 of Luke chapter 4, read along with me. Jesus says, he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, and all spoke well of him, and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. Stop there. I love the description of that, especially since Jesus has just come from the desert. He has been being uh, tested by Satan. And one of his responses to Satan was, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so now here we have this crowd marveling at words proceeding from out of the mouth of God incarnate. Unfortunately, we'll realize that they don't actually recognize that truth. However, at least here initially, they're speaking well of him. It's a positive response. And they're marveling at his gracious words. Now, if I can, let me highlight one thing here. Your translation probably says something like, they marveled at his gracious words. However, in the Greek, the construction literally says, his words of grace. They were marveling at his words of grace. And I think that gets a little better at what's actually happening in this particular passage. Because, you see, he had just talked about bringing good news to the poor, both physical poor and spiritual poor. He had just talked about bringing freedom to captives, again, both physically and spiritually, and bringing sight to the blind and proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. Friends, those words encompass our very understanding of what grace is. When we're blind, when we're in captivity, there is nothing that we can do to bring sight to ourselves or to release ourselves. That's something that God needs to do for us. And so, In saying this, what he's saying is we've received something that we don't deserve and that we could have never done for ourselves, but God has done and is doing now in and through Jesus Christ. Why would they not marvel? Those are marvelous words. But they don't marvel for long. All you got to do is just keep reading the, the same verse. And in the same verse, all of a sudden they say, is not this Joseph's son? Isn't this Joseph's son? It's almost like immediately reality begins to set in. It's like, wait a minute. This Jesus, we we know this Jesus. Now, if I can draw your attention to 
parallel passages in both Matthew and Mark. In both the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark, they also detail this event in a little bit different way, but, but they detail it. And what they, what they highlight in Matthew and Mark is that the crowds were way too familiar with Jesus. They were way too familiar with Jesus. They knew his family. They knew his dad. They knew his brothers and sisters. They saw him grow up. And because of that, their view of him was kind of set in stone. And they, in their minds, they really couldn't get past that. You know this happens a lot in families? Just go to your next family reunion, and more than likely, someone's going to come up to you and say something like, oh, look at how you've grown up. You, but in my mind, you're always going to be that cute little 10-year-old. And that's not just me, right? That, that happens in other families, right? <laughs> Good. I'm, I'm, glad I'm, not, I'm glad I know I'm not the only one there. But it also happened in the Old Testament. It happened with David. See, he was left out in the field when Samuel came to anoint one of Jesse's sons to be king. They didn't think that it could be the, the young shepherd boy David that could be the next king, right? The same thing's happening with Jesus. He's just the carpenter's son. Don't talk to us about being the Messiah. That's one of the things that was going on in the synagogue of Nazareth. And you know what still goes on in the church today? It really does. We get this image in our mind of who Jesus is, and it's hard to move past it. Even if our image of Jesus has some truth in it, sometimes we get this really incomplete image of who Jesus is. And Jesus always calls us to grow in our image. But we don't always do that, do we? In fact, too often familiarity sets in. We feel like we get Jesus all figured out, and when that happens, we get complacent and we get prideful. And then what happens? Well, we read scripture and something jumps out of us that doesn't fit within our box. And we say, no, 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 that doesn't, that doesn't correspond to the, the Jesus I want to believe in. And then what do we do? We reject it. We kind of set it off to the side. Friends, let me ask you, are there places in your life where you're too familiar with Jesus? Where you're too set in, in the image of Jesus in your mind that you, and you just don't want to expand that? See, I think that's a great question for us to always be asking ourselves as we move through life because when we ask ourselves that honestly, then we can let the Spirit in and let the Spirit point us to who Jesus fully is and who Jesus truly is. And the goal of that is always so that we might be conformed to that true image of Jesus. See, here's the truth about our lives is that it's going to be conformed to some image of Christ. Now, that image might be an image of our own choosing, an image of our own creation, or it can be the image that Christ himself reveals to us. And what I can tell you with absolute certainty is that really only one of those images actually leads to life. Only one of those images actually leads to life. Familiarity is always dangerous because what it does is it creates a barrier that we just can't see past. In Luke's gospel, familiarity is one of the issues that is going on, but it's not actually the only issue. In fact, there's another issue that, that Luke himself highlights, and it's this idea of resentment. This idea of resentment. You see, there's another side to the statement, isn't this Joseph's son? It goes like this. Hey, if this is Joseph's son and he really is the Messiah, man, that's, there's got to be something good coming to us because he's one of us. He's one of ours. 
man, just think of what we're going to get out of this. Now, I know that might sound a little contradictory, but when you put all three of the passages together, what you see is just this crowd trying to, to work out in their minds what's actually happening in front of them. And as we see, as we'll see in a second, they ultimately won't be able to come to truth, to terms with that truth. But Jesus knows their hearts, doesn't he? Jesus knows their hearts. He knows all the mixed emotions that are going on inside of them, and he calls them out. He exposes them. He says in verse 23, he says, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. And what that really means is, show me. Show me. You see, they had heard about all the reports of all the miraculous healings that he had done all in all the other cities. And naturally, they want to see that done here for them. I mean, that kind of makes sense, right? But in Matthew chapter 13, verse 58, and Mark 6, 6, both of those accounts give us this little detail. They say that Jesus could not do any mighty work in Nazareth because of their unbelief. Because of their unbelief. Now, here's what that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean that Jesus' power is somehow dependent upon them or even upon us. That's not what that means. See, Jesus knows their hearts. Jesus knows our hearts. What was going on in Nazareth is that they didn't believe his words. And more than likely, they were not going to change their understanding and see him for who, they, for who he truly was. They didn't want Jesus the healer. They didn't want Jesus the savior. They wanted Jesus the entertainer. And really, anything that Jesus would have done would have just reinforced this wrong view of him. Any mighty works of power, any mighty deeds would have just further led, would just led to further misunderstandings. They didn't need more signs. What they needed to do was open up their ears, open up their eyes, and ultimately open up their hearts to who Christ is. Here's another truth, friends. Jesus still does this very thing with us. Jesus still does this very thing with us. It is a real grace in our lives when Jesus doesn't give us what we think we want. That is a real grace in our lives. It's because Jesus knows more than we could ever ask or imagine because he can see the deepest places of our souls that sometimes we can't even see. And so there are times when God refuses to give us what we ask for and it can feel like he's actually holding out on us, like he's withholding some good for us. It can actually feel like he's even abandoning us. Let me encourage you that it's in those times that we need to remember that God's ways are not our ways because God's thoughts are not our thoughts. See, he knows whether what we're asking for is actually good for us. He knows whether our, our requests are in accordance with who he has revealed himself to be. He knows whether our requests might even lead us away from him or just reinforce further misunderstandings of who he is. God knows what his plans are for us, and he has promised to work together all things for good, even if we might not see it on this side of the resurrection. But God is always at work, and in his sovereign love for us, he has shown, he's shown that on the cross and in the resurrection, that even when things might seem to be at their worst, God is working to bring about his own victory. So God doesn't always play by our rules. In fact, God rarely plays by our rules. Thanks be to God for that. Thanks be to God for that. However, 
It is true that when God doesn't play by the rules that we've chosen, well, that can lead to resentment, as it did for his people in Nazareth. See, Jesus understood that their image of God and his Messiah was all wrong, which also led to their image of themselves being conformed to a wrong image of God and his Messiah. They wanted Jesus to do miracles, but one of the reasons that they wanted Jesus to do the miracles was for their own benefit. It was for their benefit. That's why Jesus goes on to argue with them using examples of the two great prophets, Elijah and Elisha. You see, what was going on is that both of these prophets were active in Israel when there was a time of great need, time of great need. Now, part of the reality is that Israel was under divine judgment, but there was great need throughout the land. And both of these great prophets, Elijah and Elisha, well, they took God's blessing, they took God's healing, and they took God's provision to the Gentiles. Took them to the Gentiles, people who were outside of the covenant people of God. And not just any Gentiles, people who were from enemy nations. And so when Jesus says that no prophet is welcomed in his hometown, he's identifying himself with the mission of, sin, of the sending out of Elijah and Elisha to take the blessing and the truth that's found in Isaiah 61 out to the Gentiles. The problem with that is this. That didn't fit the image of God and his Messiah that they had chosen to believe in. It just didn't fit. Now, of course, we've been going through this entire epiphany season, and we've been explaining that the truth, of, that the truth is that God's plan has always been to bring salvation to Israel and then through Israel to the Gentiles. That's a truth that is found all throughout the Old Testament. And so, really, they shouldn't have been surprised but like we all do in various ways, they only paid attention to those parts of Scripture that they wanted to believe in. See, Jesus has just brought them face to face with that reality. Now, honestly, sometimes reading that, you don't always, it's not always clear to us, at least from our perspective, exactly why they're upset about this. Right? Isn't it a good thing that everybody receives the grace of God? Well, yes, it is. But consider two things, if you will. The first is that this grace is going to their enemies, and their view of the Messiah was one who would actually crush their enemies, who would destroy their enemies, and reestablish their own kingdom. Now, it's very important that we understand from Isaiah 61 what Jesus read and also what he did not read. Let me read a part of Isaiah 61, particularly verse 2. The entire verse goes like this. The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Jesus does not read that second part. Jesus doesn't read the second part. And so in stopping where he stops, Jesus is proclaiming that his works and his grace are for all. He's not appointed to bring judgment, at least not the type of judgment that they expected. Jesus' mission is to fulfill in his very being the task that was given to the people of God in the first place so that through them all might be blessed, so that through them all might be blessed, that all might receive grace. But in their mind, the Messiah that they chose to believe in was one that would destroy their enemies, not save them. And they couldn't get past that. They couldn't understand Jesus in any other way. That's one reason. There's another reason that led to, it, to their resentment. 
And it's because they had a view that, they had a view of what we call us versus them. They had an us versus them type of understanding that somehow if they're blessed, that means that somehow we won't be. There's another way to look at that. It's, or if, hey, if we're blessed, well, man, there's not enough blessing to go around, so sorry, you're out of luck. Friends, hear me clearly. There is no scarcity with grace. There is no scarcity with grace. Grace, true grace, is meant to be shared. True grace is meant to be shared. God gives grace to you in order that it might be shared through you. That was always his plan, to give grace to his people so that through them it might be shared with all. That's Ephesians 2. We are saved by grace, not by works, nothing that we could have done for ourselves. But yet in that grace, God sets aside good works for us to do so that grace might be shared. The people of Nazareth, however, they couldn't break out of that image of the Messiah they, that they had already chosen to believe in. They didn't have the ears to hear. In fact, they ended up condemning him as a false prophet. They drove him outside of the town, and they tried to kill him. Don't miss the irony here that the one who was sent to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor did not receive any favor. Friends, this particular event is a classic example of Jesus revealing himself to people who are unwilling to let their chosen misunderstanding of Jesus go. They couldn't let go of it. And therefore, they couldn't, under, they couldn't accept the true revelation of who Jesus himself presented, uh, presented to them. They couldn't accept Jesus. Friends, are there places in your life where you're too familiar with Jesus? Are there places in your life where maybe you're even prideful, thinking, yeah, I got Jesus all figured out. I understand all of this. Are there places in your life where you might be picking and choosing which Jesus you want to believe in? and then ignoring everything else. Friends, we need to let Jesus expand our understanding of who he is so that we might grow in our love for him and so that we might conform our own self to the true image of, of who Jesus truly is. As we close, let me give you two ways that we can expand our image of Jesus. One is to read scripture but to read scripture with open ears, with open eyes, and ultimately with open hearts. Have you ever come to a, have you ever been reading scripture and you come to those places where it's kind of challenging or it's, it's those hard passages and you say, yeah, I hear that, but that's not really what he means. You ever done that? I have. I, I assume we all have, right? I call that being a yeah, but Christian. Don't be a yeah, but Christian. There are times where in Scripture where it's really difficult. It really is. But what we need to do is, is let the Spirit work on us. Let the Scriptures read us, as we like to say, so that we might grow in our understanding of, of who Christ is. Second thing flows from out of that. Read Scriptures, but also... Always retell the gospel to yourself. Always retell the gospel to yourself. Because as we retell the gospel to ourselves, 
then we remember who we are, that we were sinners who were saved by grace, that when we were sinners, it was Christ who died for us, that he poured out his love on the cross for us. And you know what? We're in the exact same condition as everybody on earth. We were sinners, just like everybody else, and yet Christ shed his blood and rose again so that we might not be separated from him. That is a great leveling truth. It puts us on the plane with everybody. It creates in us humility so that we might truly receive the love of God and the joy of God. And honestly, the more and more that we love God and we can see the world through that lens, the more and more that we can come to love those whom God loves and to share with him the love and the grace that is the task that's put on all of us. Friends, so my encouragement to you is always be growing in the knowledge and the truth of who God has revealed himself to be. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.